Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. Well, hello there, Upper Room. So good to be with you today. My name is Dave, and I serve on staff here at Upper Room as the teaching and site pastor, and it's great to be able to join you this morning. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, then you'll know that we're working together through a series called The Power of One. This hasn't been something we're only uh, doing together on Sunday mornings, but rather uh, we're hoping that as a church, you've been engaging with the content we've had online as well. On our website, upperroom.ca slash blog, each week we've had a new Bible reading planned, hoping that every one of us is together reading through the letter to the Philippians. Uh, There's a couple of reflection questions to kind of lead us into a place of contemplation. What are the ways uh, that, how are the things that we're learning actually practically being applied in our lives and, and applied to our hearts? And then there's been a blog entry each week as well. And the content in those blogs has actually, (laughs) has been absolutely fantastic. So I really hope that you've been joining in uh, online or through the app in that way as well. Now, on Sunday mornings, we've also been spending our time in the, again, the New Testament letter to the Philippian church. And what's cool about this is it's almost like we're reading somebody else's mail. After all, the letter to the Philippians was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he had planted. Now, he was in jail at the time of writing this letter, and and so really what he's saying in the entirety of the letter to the Philippians is, thank you for for partnering with me and and for supporting me even while I'm suffering. Thank you for loving me. He's telling them how grateful he is for them. While he's doing that, he begins to get into a place of talking about some of the things they need to be thinking of, be aware of, some of the things they need to be doing to begin uh, to become that unified church, that unified, beautiful picture of what the church is really meant to be. And what's so great about this is that even though this letter was written to a church 2,000 years ago, it's still totally relevant to us today as we, as Upper Room Community Church today in 2019, pursue oneness as one church, pursue oneness as a church that is on mission with Jesus. And it's all very insightful in the sense that Philippi, the, the church in Philippi was a young church. And in a sense, we're kind of a young church as well. Paul wrote this when they were about 11 or 12 years old. And we're about 14 or 15 years old, somewhere in there. It's pretty cool to see all the way that these, these things line up. It's relevant for us because we are people that want to be on mission with Jesus. And, and we are right now in a season where we feel the transition where we feel some moving and shaking. And what our hope and prayer is, is that even as our church continues to pursue the vision and the mission that God has put in front of us to be one church in many places, as we're launching congregations and new communities, as we're actively um, connecting with in very um, practical, um, intentional ways with the people we live around, our hope is that as we're moving forward in this, that He would continue to unite us as one people. And then last week, if you were with us, and if you haven't been with us or you, this is your first Sunday, I'm glad that you're here, whatever it may be. You can totally get all of our messages and video or audio content online. You can subscribe to our podcast as well. And last week, one of the things we looked at was how um, in Paul's writing, he shows us how Jesus gave up his life and served. He, he emphasized in Philippians chapter 2 how Jesus serves us. And in serving us, he actually unites us with himself. 
And it's from our unity with Jesus that we are then able to serve others, which in turn unifies us with them. And so it's this incredible ongoing partnership. Jesus with us, us with others, Jesus with others, this incredible thing. And as we just heard from chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is kind of continuing on in this theme of what needs to be given up for the sake of harmony, the sake of unity, the sake of oneness in the church. And, and I actually kind of just want to jump right in today because it's kind of like a part two to last week's message. I just want to keep running with that same thought. So as we heard read for us a few moments ago, um, the Apostle Paul here is beginning to share some of his own personal experiences. He's talking about some of the things that he needed to give up, some of the things he needed to loosen his grip and let go of. He, he tells of the things that he once held over other people, the things that he thought entitled him to some type of spiritual superiority over others. Last week, um, the, the, the invitation we had, the challenge we had, was to actually go before God in confession and confess to him the things that we had been holding on to that have been barricading us from being made one with others and with Jesus. And really, this is actually where Paul is talking about some of the things that he had to let go of. And he uses a very intense phrase to make clear that he did definitely give some things up. Because he says, whatever I thought was a gain to me, whatever was valuable to me, I now consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. Later on, he says, I consider anything that kept me from Jesus, anything that got in between me and Jesus, I consider that to be garbage. It's garbage if it's not Jesus. Paul considers everything and anything that could have been used to his own advantage useless and garbage. It's trash by comparison to what it means for him to know Jesus. This is a beautiful way of Paul saying there's nothing more important to him than being unified with Jesus and unified with the church and on mission with, for God's purposes. And again, he's basically talking about all of the things that he had to let go of for the sake of becoming a servant of others to be on mission with Jesus. It was a common thing for ancient writers to include in their own to include their own personal stories in their writings for the purpose of legitimizing themselves to their readers uh, who they were asking or calling to follow in their footsteps. This is totally common to us today. I mean, we can smell a hypocrite from a mile away. And so when writers or leaders or speakers or whoever, when they share their own personal stories, what it does is it actually helps us connect with them to say, oh, they're like a real person too. They're kind of going through some of the stuff I'm going through. And what that does is it engages us and it draws us in for the sake of, of learning from them. One interesting thing we see all over scripture uh, in particular is that writers don't just share their wins. They don't just share their successes. They don't only share the times when they were amazing, but they often share their troubles. They often share their sufferings and they regularly talk about their embarrassments as well, like times when they got it wrong. And this would have totally differentiated um, biblical writers or scriptural writers from other leaders, historians, philosophers of the day who would have been more inclined to keep all of the good stuff in, but then leave out the bad stuff. And Paul's a prime example of this in, in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. Absolutely a prime example of this. I mean, for example, right at the beginning of Philippians, he talks about how he's in jail. He has no shame in saying that he's in jail. He's saying, this is who I am. This is where I am. This is my current circumstance. 
In many of the other letters, he wrote 13 letters to a variety of different churches. And in lots of those letters, he actually shares of, um, frequently he shares about the sufferings that he endured, the losses that he had, the persecution. I mean, a prime example of this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The church in Corinth were actually questioning Paul and wondering whether or not he was a legitimate apostle, whether he was a legitimate leader, what really whether or not um, Jesus was even on his side or not. And, and what he does is he says in, in, in great detail, he talks about the times when he was beaten within an inch of his death, how he was always on the run, how he was in constant danger from robbers and from rivers and from the wilderness, how he was uh, often without clothes or food, how he was essentially homeless. At one point he shared about how he even got bit by a snake. Like he, he shipwrecked and he finally gets to land and he starts a fire and a viper comes out and bites him. And he's just talking about all this. And the, the church there said, well, all those bad things happen to you. That doesn't seem like you're living the, your best life now. It doesn't seem like you're living a blessed life whatsoever. And he says, no, no, no. This is who I am. This is what I've endured. Why? For the sake of Jesus. And he's actually using those things as a defense of his ministry. So Paul is one of the most instrumental leaders in all of Christian history. The early church, absolutely, but it's because of the movement that started with the first Christian leaders that we're even here worshiping and talking about Jesus today. And yet, one of the things we see in Paul's life is that he doesn't just talk about his successes, he also talks about his losses. It seems like he spends more time speaking of his troubles, where he endured these hardships. And yet, when he does write about his successes, he doesn't talk about them for the sake of boasting or for the sake of trying to prove himself. Rather, what he's saying is, even though I've accomplished so many great things, even that, none of it matters for the sake of knowing Jesus. None of that is important by comparison to how important it is for him to have known Jesus. Jesus is everything to Paul. Jesus is the desire of his affections, the desire of his heart, the pursuit of his life. The only thing he'd lived for, the only person he chased was Jesus. And in chapter 3, which we just heard a few minutes ago, he really makes this point strong. He's talking about how for a long time, he actually got his faith wrong. He got religion all wrong. He tells about how Jesus wasn't always the most important thing to him, but obviously something must have happened. And so he talks about the things that he once thought qualified him to be this super spiritual and super religious leader. He talks about, for example, at the beginning of the chapter, how he was a Jew, which essentially means he was connected to a long ethnic lineage of people who worshipped God. There was a problem that plagued the early church, and that was, it was this. The notion that those who were Jewish Christians, people who were part of the Jewish faith, but then began to follow Jesus, that they were somehow better or closer or more blessed by God than somebody who grew up from, as a part of another ethnic background or another religion, worshiping a pagan God. Yes, other people could be brought into the family of God, but they were always kind of like, a second-class citizen. And Paul says, I once thought that it was my ethnicity, that it was my heritage, that it was my religion that I was born into that was the thing that, that caused me to be close to God. He talks about how he kept the law of God more closely than anyone else. 
And this is true to the point where he actually becomes a Pharisee. Pharisees were important people in the Jewish, in, in the Jewish life because they were uh, actually responsible for being a model of what um, incredible piety, incredibly close adherence to the law of God looked like, but also for the purpose of enforcing others in following God's law just as closely as they did. So people would have looked up to Paul and he would have had incredible religious power, incredible religious influence. That influence actually is something else he talks about. He says that um, we can see in the book of Acts, for example, where it tells of Paul's many journeys, how he would walk into a room where the high priest was and start a conversation, which means Paul was such an important and influential Jew before he came to know Jesus. He was so influential that when he walked into a room, he was either able to go and speak to the most important people or he was the most important person in that very room. And so Paul is listing off all all of these things, one point after another, saying, at one point, I thought that these were all legitimate credentials as far as it's concerned being, you know, um, united with God or being close to God. It's because of all of these things that I'm doing, all of these things that I've done. It's because of the person that I am, the person that I am, that I am precious to God, that God owes me one. These are actions and behaviors that he thought made him the person who pleased God more than anyone else. Things that, at one point or another, others would have either been fearful of him because of how awesome he was in his religion, or they would have feared him for the fear of being busted by him because they weren't following even as closely as he was. But, even though all of this is true, something happens because he begins by saying, because he says, rather, but now that I know Jesus, none of these things matter. By comparison to Jesus, all of the things I once considered as a gain to me, all of them are garbage. That is a big statement. It's big because the things he's referring to that were his gains, he's actually talking about his identity, his salvation, and his comfort. Or rather, the source of his identity, the source of his salvation, and the source of his comfort. Right, he tells about how his, his identity had been found in his ethnic background and his religious piety, his religious influence. He lived as if his security was found in who he was, the color of his skin, the place that he came from, the people group he was born into, the religion he practiced. That's where his whole life, his whole identity was found in that. His salvation had been found in his religious adherence to God's law. He was convinced that he was right by God because he had done everything right. Now, he may not have been putting his heart into it. There was no faith. He was just checking things off a list, making sure that he did all of the right things at the right time, but it never went to that next step of actually being out of a place of faith and true devotion to God. And, and, and he, his confidence was resting in the fact that he had done everything God had asked, so he must be safe. He must be saved. He must be rescued. He talks about his comfort. He would have been very comfortable. He would have had lots of comfort in knowing uh, about his influence, the relationships and connections that he had, the power that he had. He would have been satisfied with himself. And yet, he says that none of these things are worth him holding on to if it means that he doesn't get Jesus. The very things that he lived for the very things that his entire life were founded upon. He says, none of this matters if they keep me from knowing Jesus. And so Paul, 
encounters Jesus in such a powerful way. Jesus encounters Paul in such a tremendous way that his whole entire life is completely reoriented to the point where he says, nothing matters, Jesus is all that matters. One writer says it this way. He says, by comparison to knowing Jesus, everything is sacrificable, everything is losable, and everything is negotiable. For the, by comparison to knowing Jesus, everything is up for grabs. Everything can be let go. There's nothing worth holding on to. There's, there's, no, there's nothing that is worth keeping me from him. Paul is saying that. And really, this means that at some point or another, we all need to ask that question about ourselves. Where are we personally finding our identity? Where are we personally finding our salvation? Where are we personally finding our comforts in life? Especially, we must ask these questions as a church today, as it pertains to being unified with Jesus and one another as we go forward in mission. Summarizing this whole idea is really, we have to ask ourselves, what is the most important to us? What matters most to us? As you know, one of the major ways we've been on mission together is through our church's vision to be multi-site. One church in five locations impacting people in the places that we live. And for months, dozens of us have been praying and discerning the role that Jesus has for us as we step forward into this multi-site vision. What are the things that he has for us if we stay where we are or if we go into the new, to the new thing that's happening? And I honestly feel like this is worth saying. This, this call to pray and discern isn't just some expectation that we as a staff have had for you as a church. It's not just something we hope you do and we're sitting back waiting to hear what, what you say. It's actually been something we've had to engage with, something we have to process and pray and discern on our own. I mean, look at Tony and Melissa and the incredible transition that's happening with them is, as they branch out into new things and take on new roles. Talk to either one of them about their process of discernment. It's worth saying that we're all in this as well. Sandra and I, my wife and I, we're in this too. This past week, uh, Sandra and I... Uh, uh, celebrated our birthdays. Um, our birthdays are two days apart, which is awesome. Uh, so hers was on Tuesday, mine was on Thursday. Every year they're always two days apart, so it just makes it perfectly easy for us to have one celebration for the two of us. In the last couple of years, we've, we've tried to have breakfast together on her birthday at a place called Mom's Restaurant, which is in Midland, Ontario. Typically when we sit down for this birthday breakfast, yes, we're enjoying one another's company and we're enjoying the good food that we like there, but we often guide the conversation towards some reflection and introspection. How's this last year been? What are the areas of growth? Where are the areas where we really struggled individually? How has God brought us together? As we sat there this past week, we found ourselves actually reflecting on the last two years together because it was at about this time in July, two years ago, that we decided it was time for us to leave the church where I had been serving on staff for five years and join Upper Room, become a part of the staff here at Upper Room. And that was a major decision for us. And, and when it comes to making decisions, the two of us are actually quite different. She likes to linger with a decision, kind of take her time with it. She likes to maintain rhythm and structure. I'm a little more hasty. For better or worse, I'm a little quicker with making decisions. And, and I'm totally cool with change. Like, I'm all right. I'm up for something new. And so we, throughout the years of our marriage, have had to work through that. But specifically, as it came to this decision of leaving the church where I was serving to come and join something new, we had to take our time with it. And it was a about a year's worth of prayer and discussion and decision-making, discerning, um, before we finally got to the place where we said, yes, it's time to resign and step into what God has for us next. 
Now, this was hard for a lot of different reasons. It was difficult because I had spent the entirety of my adult life, nearly 12 years of my life in youth ministry. I had been a youth pastor working with teenagers. And throughout those years, God had put some incredible opportunities before me. I had a youth group with a couple hundred kids in it. Um, I was involved on, an, on a national level with organizations leading and, and training other youth pastors. I was invited to speak at conferences and retreats, and I was a sought-after communicator. Our, our church has had about 4,500 people that attended on a weekend, and I spoke there on Sunday mornings before thousands of people. I had found, a, I, I, this is all I knew. Youth ministry is what I knew. I lived youth ministry, breathed youth ministry. This is all that I knew. But now, the opportunity was put in front of us to, to leave behind what I knew and who I was and what I had been doing and join in Upper Room's mission to become one church in new places, which really meant that I had to give up everything I knew, enter into a brand new church, where I wasn't known, where I didn't know anybody else, basically start all over again doing a job that I had never done before. Like I had never started a congregation or led a congregation before coming here. And so as we were thinking through these decisions, I was scared. I was scared about this because it wasn't just moving from one place to another. It was a lot of who I had become. And yet, as we were discerning this, as we were praying through this process, God began to put his finger on the fact that I had actually found my identity in my influence and in my position as a youth pastor. I had come to this point where maintaining my identity as, as a youth pastor of youth pastors, if you want to call it that, that mattered to me more than being in step with what Jesus was calling me into next. And he pulled that out of me. He, he put his finger on that. It wasn't until we started this prayer and decision-making process that that was even brought to my attention. You know, through it all, I can even see the ways that I wrongfully believed that even my salvation was founded upon what I was doing as a youth pastor. Kids were coming to faith. Our youth group was growing. I was helping people through hard stuff. I was being sought after as a preacher and helping other people. And I know it sounds absolutely crazy to say this, but there were moments where I got caught up in my pride and my self-righteousness where I would think things like, man, God, God must just be so impressed with me. Or, or things as crazy as, you know, like, um, God must be, God, or rather, God is so lucky that I'm on His team. I was at this point where I figured I had been doing everything that God wanted me to do, and I was impressing Him, so He had to accept me. He had to love me because I was doing the stuff that He wanted me to do. He had to bless me. He had to save me. I was really basing my salvation on the things that I was doing and not at all on the faith that I had that Jesus was doing those things for me. Then there was our comfort. I love that church. Sandra loves that church. It was a big church with a big building, with great facilities and programs, every program you could ever dream of. And we have good friends there that are still there, people we loved uh, worshiping beside and loved serving beside, people who are really sharing life together. Our kids loved it there. They were both born there. Like that's all, that's what they knew. We found incredible comfort there. There was security there. We had everything we thought we could ever want there. And yet here we were faced with this decision to step out of that and follow Jesus into leadership in a church, upper room, that has no building really, 
right? Or a building that we're in a really difficult time with, actually where there wasn't going to be all the programs that we had ever been available to. There wasn't going to be all the resources that we once uh, saw. And, and actually, one of the most difficult and challenging parts of this whole decision is the role that, I, that I'm called into here is being on this rotating teaching team where I actually only get to be in a I actually get, only get to worship with my family every other week. So this was a decision not just for me and what am I going to go do as my job, but where, what is my family going to experience in this new stage of life as we go into this church? It's true. I only get to be with my family roughly every other week for worship, and that's still something that we're growing and figuring out together. And yet, as we got before God, as we prayed to Him, as we asked Him where should we go and what should we do, He didn't actually start with that. He didn't start by telling us where we should go. He didn't start by telling us what we should do. The first thing Jesus did was identify the things in our lives that had taken his place. My identity was not found completely in Jesus. I was finding it in what I was doing and how other people saw me. My salvation was not found completely in Jesus, received by grace through faith in him. It was found in the things that I thought I was doing for God to earn it. My comfort was not found completely in his love or who Jesus said I was. It was found in the stability that the church offered to us. And, you know, the truth is, like, I'll be honest, it's not every day you think that way. It's not every day that we thought that way. But there were moments, there were times when I realized those things were more important to me than Jesus himself. And yet in the process of discernment and decision making, they were brought out of us. And God is still doing that work in us. It's not done yet. It just like you, it continues for us. And so just like we've asked you to consider what you'll do in this next stage of our life here at Upper Room, our families had to consider whether or not uh, Oak King Oak Ridges is going to be our home congregation as well. Yeah, it's closer to where we live, but we already went through a major transition over these last two years. Uh, we've had to really pray into and discuss, do we actually want to go in again to a new facility, again into a new rhythm, and again into a new schedule with a new group of people? What are we going to do? And so God is continuing to do this work. We're in it with you. And it's in our pursuit to follow Jesus that he's begun to reveal stuff to us about our own lives and showed us that he's the only one who actually makes it possible for us to let any of this stuff go anyways. Why am I telling you all this? There's a few reasons I'm telling you this. First, one of the reasons is that I, I honestly and truly hope it's helpful for you to know that we're all in this together. Just because some of us are pastors doesn't mean that we don't have to fight sin. It doesn't mean that we have stuff that doesn't mean that we don't have anything to work through. It doesn't mean that we're all figured out and that we've got stuff sorted. We're working on things too. We're in it just like you're in it. And I hope that somehow that encourages you, that it doesn't just bum you out to know that you've got a pastor who's in process. Uh, I hope that it encourages you somehow and actually shows you uh, that, you know, not only like that we need you too. Like I, I need you as a congregation to help us too, just as much as you may need any one of us in helping you. I hope it doesn't give you a reason to judge us. We're not judging any of you as you're in this process of discernment. It's just showing you that this is, we're in this as well. We've counted the cost. We've had to experience it. We're experiencing it as well. Secondly, I'm sharing it because I think um, sometimes we end up doing things that we think are good and fine, and the truth is we really don't know any better. Like this was true for Paul. For a lot of his life, he was doing what he knew. He only knew how to be a religious Jew. He didn't know any other way. 
And it wasn't until Jesus encountered him that his eyes were open and he was able to get this new perspective on life. Same thing for us. I wasn't aware of all the ways I had been finding my identity, salvation, and comfort in, in the things I was doing, in the reputation that I had. It, it, what I'm saying is it, it can sometimes be kind of subtle. It can sometimes be kind of sneaky. And before you know it, all of a sudden you realize that your eyes are open and you see these things are actually blocking Jesus out of my life or blocking me from getting to him. And thirdly, most importantly for the sake of our series, as far as being united as one, when we find our identity, our salvation, or our comfort in any place other than Jesus, we will have no hope of being a unified church. Because the very thing that makes us a community of Jesus followers is that we can together by faith say, Anything that I ever thought was important to me is garbage by comparison to what it means to know Jesus and be found in him. That's the unity, right? Nothing matters to me by comparison to knowing Jesus and being made one with others. That is being found in him. Knowing who he is. Knowing that this is something we experience by faith, not by something that we do. It's a gift we receive. Knowing the power of his resurrection and knowing that actually the resurrection and promise of eternal life only comes as a result of the suffering that we do in partnership with him. Nothing matters in comparison to being in relationship with Christ. And so what happens is these verses almost become like a confession for us as we as a church work towards oneness in, uh, for the sake of reaching the world around us. And so as we profess, as we confess, as we work on these things, we become united in our pursuit of Jesus as we go after him together. We become united as we confess that sometimes the very things that we thought were keeping us close to God are actually the things that are standing in between us and blocking us from Him. We become united in our faith when we say that nothing could possibly compare to being made one with Jesus and one another. And so in a few minutes, we're going to move to the communion table. But before we do that, there's three questions that I think we ought to spend some time contemplating. Where am I finding my identity? Where am I finding my salvation? And where am I finding my comfort? These are questions for you to answer personally on your own, even now, in this time of prayer, in this time of communion. Of course, they're questions for you to consider and take into your week, to discuss uh, with your friends, with your family, with others. These are real questions. What we're hoping as we work through them, God will begin to illuminate the areas in our life where, they, where we haven't found them in Jesus, right? And really, that's what it is. Where do you find your value and purpose? Where do you find your identity? Is it in your heritage, your experiences, your religious upbringing? Or is it found only in who Jesus says you are, only in following him, that your desires and your affections are for him and nowhere else? Where are you finding your salvation, your rescue in life? Are you, are you hoping in your own morality, in your own personal goodness, your own efforts, your own spiritual practices? Or is it something that you know can only be received by faith in trusting in Jesus, knowing that he's done the work in our place? Where are you finding your comfort in life? Is it in the things that you have? The things you feel entitled to? The routines you try to keep? The traditions that you don't want to break? Your own personal views and opinions? Or is it found in wanting nothing but Jesus alone and being the one who he says that you are?
you know, for some of us that are already following Jesus, we can take these questions to heart and the Holy Spirit will begin to do His work of illuminating again those areas where these, in these subtle ways things have started to get between us and Him and us and others. He calls those things out and He brings us back to this place of being united. But maybe there are some here that are not following Jesus yet. And actually these questions are just as relevant for you today as well. Perhaps you're, you're beginning to feel something right now that maybe you've never felt before. Like maybe, maybe all of a sudden you've got a rush of questions that are coming into your heart or coming into your mind. Questions about faith, questions about Jesus, questions about your own purpose, your own value, your own identity. Maybe all of a sudden you have an awareness of areas in your life where things are just not working out where you're spinning in circles, where you actually feel like you need to be rescued, where an outside source needs to come in and save you from what's going on in your own life. Maybe you're actually recognizing that you have been possibly purposefully putting your identity, salvation, and comfort in your own self, but realizing that you let yourself down over and over and over again. Which means, i got to ask the question, what would it look like for you to begin following Jesus today? What would it look like for you to say, I am at the end of myself. I have tried to to live or to find identity, salvation, and comfort in who I am, but I just haven't. I let myself down, but there's something about Jesus that's intriguing me. We're inviting you into that. And as a staff, anyone who's been in front of you today, whether worship team or welcoming or myself or anyone else uh, that is around that, that you just need to talk to, we want to play a role in serving you by answering your questions and leading you into that connection, into that relationship with Jesus. And just like we've said, I've said it to you, I've been following Jesus for a while, and yet there's still this process of work that's going on. Paul didn't just start by saying all of these things were garbage to him. He got to a point where he was able to say this, but there was still a moment in Paul's life, there was still a moment in my life, and there could still be a moment in your life where when you say, I want to follow you, Jesus, in that moment, he begins to give a new perspective, reorient your life, and show you that all of the things you thought were important aren't important anymore by comparison to the worth of Jesus himself. And so I invite you, if that's something you're feeling, there's something going on in your soul right now, to come and chat with us. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. When Jesus is the source of our identity, the source of our salvation, and the source of our comforts, then, and only then, can we joyfully move forward in our pursuit of being on mission together as one for the sake of Jesus, making Him known in the world and everywhere we go.